Captain, we have to speak with you about Mr. Morden. You must release him at once. You too? The both of you? I mean, who is this guy? Why is everyone so interested in him? You will simply have to trust us, Captain. If you do not release him quickly, everyone here is in terrible danger. No. Not until I get some answers, once and for all. This is the only way. And we will give you those answers. But be warned. Once you know his secret, once you know what we have known for the last three years, you will never sleep well again. Come, Captain. The greatest nightmare of our time is waiting for you. Welcome back to Healing Company, I'm Brent. And I'm Drew. Several months ago, we submitted an incentive to the Hoofer School's charity for a guest spot on our show. Well, this month, we are delighted to have our winner with us. From Australia and the future, it's Liam McNicholas. Liam is a longtime fan of Doctor Who, an early childhood teacher, a writer, and, the best of all people, a fellow podcaster. Liam brings along with him his pick of the month, the 90s sci-fi cult epic Babylon 5. We explore the different aspects of the show and points of view from some of us who have seen the show a few times and some of us who haven't seen it at all. That would be me. Yeah. Found out why this show is so well-loved by its fans and how it would hold up today. And all of that is coming up right after this. That's enough. I said that's enough! Now, we gave you a promise, and we are bound by that promise, and damn you for asking for it, and damn me for agreeing to it, and damn all of us to hell, because that is exactly where we're going. We talked about peace. You didn't want peace. We talked about cooperation. You didn't want cooperation. You want war. Is that it? You want a war? Well, you've done a war. Toward the end of 2019, Doctor Who fandom gathered together to raise money in support of international educational rights for children. The Who for Schools event was a success, largely in part due to the generosity of people like our guest. As part of that effort, Who and Company offered a chance to win a guest spot for anyone who contributed to the event. Our guest this month is an early childhood educator, a writer, and an advocate, and the winner of that guest spot. Liam McNicholas, welcome to Who and Company. Thank you. It's really great to be here. Hi, Brent. Hi, Drew. Hello. How's it going? Uh, well, it's well. I mean, as as well as anyone is, I guess. So I'm I'm kind of lucky to be in Australia at this time. We're we're not doing too badly. We're kind of we're doing the isolation and all the stuff, but we're um we're a big huge island that's hard. To, once we've locked everything down, it's hard to get into. So I think we're doing a lot better than a lot of other people. So how is this lockdown treating you? 
Um, look, not too bad. It's interesting. I've got uh, two youngish children, so I'm not getting as much, you know, TV binge watching time unless it's things like How to Train Your Dragon or Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, <laughs> but um, yes, I, I work in uh, early childhood education, and we. So bizarrely, I've kind of been busier than I've ever been in my life. I'm not getting a lot of the uh, the quiet lockdown experience because obviously it's hard to move. Uh, you know, children under the age of five to online learning. But um, the Australian government is also very uh, insistent that the work we do continues so that um, so that particularly for people can still go to work and do those kind of things. So I feel like I'm having a slightly different ex- pandemic experience to everyone else, but uh, I'm, I'm for- one of the fortunate people to still be working and doing those kind of things. So I, I shouldn't complain. Well, I mean, we're glad that, I mean, it's such important work and the fact that you're, your country is supporting education is very impressive because it's not the same for everywhere around the world. Uh, Brent, how are you holding holding up with all this? Um, not bad. Uh, I work in a printing company, so we were deemed essential. So I am able to work, fortunately. Um, my wife is not, so she is currently getting unemployment and so we're trying to we're hoping that her business uh, gets back on its feet and she's able to go back to work soon but um luckily and uh fortunately we haven't had any sickness around us or near us so uh we're, we're good there how about you drew uh yeah yeah i mean my wife is a professor at a college and even though the college is not meeting uh she is she, I th- she's online. I mean, she's online education. I'm sure, as Liam, you, you're becoming painfully aware is tricky, uh, and it's just not the same thing. It's not what you signed up for. And since you're working with much younger children, I'm, I'm sure your experience is very different from my wife's, who is working with college-age students. But there's a lot involved with this because, and I think this happened to a lot of folks in the United States, the lockdown sort of began very close to everyone's spring break. And so folks went off, and then they weren't allowed back. Or they were allowed back in, in, in certain situations. So there was a time really early on where what she was doing was working with her students who were in Europe or needing to get back to Europe or didn't didn't live in this area and needed to find shelter. So a lot of that has just been uh, working with administration and such to find homes. I, however... I'm a children's librarian, and so the library is closed to the public, which is very weird to be in a library that is constantly quiet. You spend so much time trying to get them to shh, but now when <laughs> no one's saying anything, it's a really lonely place. And so I'm doing a lot of story times online, uh, both for my job and just for my my friends and the public who have children and are stuck at home and need just a 30-minute break. So a lot of my socializing, all my socializing is done uh, via the internet, uh, more so than it ever was before. And like you, Liam, I don't think I've ever really been this busy before in my life. Uh, <laughs> every kind of every minute of the day is sort of accounted for, um, and almost all of it is sitting in front of a computer. Not the worst thing. Uh, and I have got a chance to do some some bin watching, not a lot, but some, and it's been quite pleasant to catch up on some of the things I've missed. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. <laughs> um, uh, Liam, uh, you are the winner of our Who From Schools uh, kind of, I guess, raffle. I'm not really sure how Who From Schools decided <laughs> who won, um, but I'm kind of curious about how you heard about that project. 
Uh, well, I listened to quite a number of Doctor Who podcasts, uh, including this one, which is why it's very strange to be uh, talking to you in this way. But um, I think I, I, I think it might have been Radio Free Scar I've heard it on first because I think they, they, they're out weekly. Um, but I'd yeah. followed the, the previous one as well, which was Who for, for Guns. Um, but this one, obviously, as a, as a teacher and someone who works in early education, this one was particularly uh, was was particularly important uh, to, to me. But um, it was just a great uh, thing to contribute to. And you know, season twenty six, which was uh, with, which is what everyone came for for the commentaries, is you know absolutely one of my probably top two or three seasons. So this uh, was it probably couldn't have been any more perfect. And then to win was just amazing as well. <laughs> oh, we're so happy that yeah, you're happy. And yeah, yeah, season twenty six. It was a real pleasure to go back and and revisit revisit that. Um, uh, something else that I kind of wasn't really prepared to talk about, but I, I do want to talk about it because uh, one of the things I'm finding fascinating about this kind of lockdown, this quarantine experience, is um, how groups and fandom are mobilizing. And there's a whole series of Doctor Who watch-alongs that are happening almost weekly. Mm-hmm. Um and this is this is so fabulous because uh, it's not just a chance to go back and revisit an episode, but it's a, a chance to go back while have some someone who wrote or acted in the episode, and sometimes everyone who was involved in the episode. Have you gotten a chance to take part in any of those tweet alongs or watch alongs? No, not really. Look, at it, look, being in Australia, the time zones are a little trickier, and then having a young family around. But uh, but I've been like you. I've just been amazed at the sort of logging on the next day and spending a bit of time on Twitter and just the joy and love for for the show and for the, those particular episodes and, and some of these people. It is it, it is actually bizarrely really amazing because it, it, I think we sometimes forget how old some of these, like the Rose one was, you know, 15 or 16 years ago, but it took me right back to the show coming back. And um, and I'm, but I'm just amazed how organized they are. I, I kind of assume when, when Rose came out that maybe it'd be one every month or something, but I seem to miss one every few days. There's been another one. They're doing an amazing job. They really are, yeah. And I, I wish I had gotten a chance to take care of all of them. Most of them happen while I'm at work. Brent, how about you? Have you gotten a chance to to tweet along or watch along? No, I did uh, log in to the uh, YouTube channel the Saturday that they were doing um, Silver Nemesis, mm-hmm. and they did a lot. They showed a lot of older. Um, convention interviews with some of the uh, people involved so I watched about I don't know 10 minutes of that so uh, I haven't really checked it out yet I haven't really sat down to to uh, to join in yeah I I the first one they did for the 50th anniversary for day of the doctor I couldn't believe that that was even happening and it'd been probably a year or more since I'd watched day of the doctor so I'm like yeah why not and just to you know, because you're you're having to watch an independent video source. So you know, I put an actual physical DVD in the the player and hit play, and of course, it was a few seconds or so after everybody else. But like just the tweet storm and having Moffat sending out information that I had never heard of before, I I would not be surprised. I mean, we're we're privy to a number of Doctor Who scholars who who like to document you know, the wilderness years and so forth. And this is going to be the new wilderness years. You know, it's it's almost like the exact opposite. While there is, there's almost like a glut of Doctor Who uh, participation happening. And I can't wait to read about you know, the, all, how all this gets organized and why everyone's getting involved and how they're getting involved because uh, it really makes me 
happy to be a part of Doctor Who fandom. Yeah, look, I, I completely agree. And I, I would just say, I think, the, uh, you know, particularly some of the, the extra stuff, I just couldn't believe that, you know, Russell T Davies, God knows how many years since he left Doctor Who, managed to make me cry once again with the, the Sarah Jane story. Oh, yeah, that was really good. Yeah, yeah he's an evil man. <laughs> I, I have held off on reading that um, until after. It's going to be one of my rewards to myself this week. Uh, I, just, I haven't been doing re- a lot of reading of anything while I'm writing because uh, I, I get really influenced, not so much from watching things, but from reading. And I, I needed to keep at the pulp mystery level. So I'm really looking forward to. Well, Liam, uh, speaking of Doctor Who, when did you begin watching Doctor Who? Wow. Well, um, so I'm one of the classic children of the wilderness era. Um, I was uh, born here in Australia, but my family moved to the UK for a few years um, in the early '90s. So I, when they did that repeat run in the in the '92 and '93, so the first episode of Doctor Who I ever saw was the first episode of Planet of the Daleks, which still for nostalgic reasons, is one of my favourite uh, stories, and it saddens me no end when I hear people point out its, yes, very obvious flaws, but to me it still takes me right back to being eight and um, and watching that those very uh, that green jungle and Joe walking through. So, And just instantly fell in love with it for reasons which, you know, the, you know the, all, of, all the people you've had on this show um, have sort of, you know, tried to articulate. It's very hard to work out how this show reaches into your brain and just latches on, but um, just fell in love from that moment and then spent a lot of time collecting some of the videos that came out here in Australia. Um, your, your guest uh, last month, um, Robert, was talking about, you know, the endless re- repeat cycles of Doctor Who, but they, they kind of stopped by the time uh, uh, that, I, that I was back in Australia in the 90s. They didn't sort of come back until later. So my experience of Doctor Who was it was a new video coming out with a random Doctor each time. Um, so I sort of went through that and then the DVDs and then the show came back and it's just been um, one long life of Doctor Who plus other attempts to, to run a normal life. So you were eight when you first watched it? Yeah, I think so. Ninety three. Yeah, so would have just been eight, which I think is like that's about the perfect age to to start Doctor Who. I'm, I'm take. I've got an eight year old daughter at the moment, so I'm very carefully getting her into Doctor Who right now because I think that's the perfect time. Yeah. Please tell us the first episode that you showed her. The first episode I showed her was oh, it would have been um, Twice Upon a Time. So the the last episode of Peter Capaldi, which was a bit early, but I knew. Jodie Whittaker was coming by then. I thought this this cannot be any more perfect. I've got my my daughters at the right age to be watching this stuff. Let's give her essentially, you know, the, the first episode of the Thirteenth Doctor, um, and she's been watching along for the last two seasons. Oh, how's she liking it? She's loving it. She thinks uh, Jodie's hilarious, which is correct. But um, <laughs> she's found that some of them a bit scary. Particularly series twelve had some pretty. There was actually. So my wife and I have been watching them first and then just to make sure we can talk to her about it. We actually, she hasn't seen Can You Hear Me? Because I just thought that, that, I find that too scary. I don't think I'll be watching that again for a little while. But um, she's, so she's found the last one a bit scary, um, but she's been absolutely loving it, really enjoying it. I'm super happy to hear that. Uh, Did you... So you did watch Twice Upon a Time before you showed it to her or did you watch it on Christmas like like a Christmas present? Yeah, we watched it. Yeah, so in in Australia because we're sort of day behind it, they're Boxing Day specials here in oh, sure. Australia. Okay. So we watched them the next day. But um, no, we watched. Well, I figured the Christmas ones are generally uh, are pretty okay. So um, we we watched that one all together. Yeah, I guess that that one actually really is a good one because it it's reflexive of of sort of the entirety run of Doctor Who, and there isn't an actual enemy. 
Really? Mm-mm. No, not really. And it's funny. I think that's what I think gets particularly young children, even if it's a bit complicated. Although I think we, I always underestimate what what um, the children will follow. But if it's funny, and you know, the first Doctor and the twelfth Doctor running around being, uh, you know, doing hilarious Stephen Moffat banter, um, you know, just sort of suck them in, even when they weren't quite sure what was going on. Well, your daughter is a fan of the new series, um, and seeing as you started when you were eight. I'm sure you've watched a lot of classics. So, do you have a favorite Doctor? Oh wow, yeah. So I've watched. I I did the. Oh, I've forgotten the other the pilgrimage. I think people. I did that probably about ten years ago. So I have finally seen them all. And I'm collecting. It's probably like so many other listeners. I think I'm now collecting the Blu-ray. So this will be the third version of most of these stories I've owned, um, which <laughs> is getting more and more difficult to explain to my wife. But she's uh, she's being quite lovely about it. Um, I think it's 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 hard. It kind of depends on different times, but I think because my the initial experience of the classic series was so random and it would draw drew from so much. So I think a lot of it was just when I was watching. But I think the Seventh Doctor is still my reflexive one when I go and talk about, um, you know, what were my favourite ones. I think because those stories were the newest when they came out, so they seemed the freshest. They seemed like bizarrely. I know oh, now sure. you know, they they kind of seemed the special effects seemed a lot better. I think I remember actually dragging my dad into the room and showing him some of the effects from um, from ghost light and going, how amazing is this? And my poor dad must have thought I was absolutely insane. But um, <laughs> I do, yeah. I'd lo- I'd, Sylvester McCoy, so there's something about his, that combination of, you know, comedy and um, his seriousness that I, yeah, I, I still do have a very, very soft spot for the Seventh Doctor. That's interesting. But you, you watched, so remind me, Planet of the Daleks is a third Doctor? Third, third Doctor. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yeah, per twit. All right, so uh, you had to go back to watch McCoy's era, correct? Yeah, so, uh, so yeah, they didn't repeat much of the McCoy, I think, and I was only in the UK for, for a little while, but then um, when the video started coming out, uh, obviously because there weren't that many Sylvester McCoy, I think I managed to get that, you know, a lot of his ones pretty quickly. Um but yeah, so no, it was this just sort of random dive through the entire history of the show as a new video came out every every month or two. Well, you yourself are a podcaster. Uh, you're an educator and a podcaster. So tell us a little bit about your podcast. Yes, look, I'm, so I was sort of saying, I, I don't know if the the the, um, the listenership crossover will be huge, but yes, um, I do a podcast on the on early education in Australia with a couple of great uh, friends and colleagues of mine, Lisa. And Leanne, um, we, I think I, the, in some of the earlier episodes, I actually did joke that I was only doing this because I couldn't find anyone to do a Doctor Who podcast with me. <laughs> but, um, and, but now, now I, I'm, I'm, I can't wait to send them this one that comes out because I'll be, I'll, be, I'll be laughing quite a lot. But yes, no, we, um, we sort of talk about the, uh, as well as, you know, some of the things you might expect, you know, um, uh, you know pedagogy and, and, and teaching practice. We, we're, we're advocates as well for, you know, better funding for early education, better respect for early childhood educators and those kind of things. So we do a lot of policy and politics but um yeah that's been going since oh god 2016 i think so i think we're into our fourth year and um yeah having a great time that's really impressive is it a a weekly podcast monthly podcast we were doing weekly for a while before my brain nearly melted out my ears trying to do a full-time job and um because i do the the uh, editing and producing of it as well but um so we moved we moved to fortnightly a little while ago but i do look um uh, jealously at a lot of monthly podcasts like yours and go, oh, that's a great release schedule. Why didn't I think of that? But um, I, I don't think Lisa and Leanne will wait a month to, to get on to get on Skype and chat. Uh, so uh, what inspired you to become an educator? Wow. Well, um, 
Look, I think I, I I do think Doctor Who was a part of it. I I do my my parents say this as well. Doctor Who is probably responsible for my reading and writing skills. So I just devoured those Target novelizations um, growing up, and literally would be found you know in bed with you know the horns of Nymon splayed over my head or something. <laughs> um, the and it just it just devoured and so and then and then you know so, so many other people did I see we you know would write my own uh, Doctor Who stories then our you know lost classics unfortunately got, I doubt they were any good but um I used to you know do a lot of that and that um I think just sort of morphed into a love of um you know education and and, and teaching and um but I've always um, just enjoyed working with young children as well um, and I think a lot of that is. Um, you know the doctor as well. I think that's their that 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 engagement with um with with being silly and and being serious while being silly just sort of fits really well into early education. But um yeah, I've I've never been very good at particularly planning my life. I, a lot of it was just kind of falling into it. But I but I I started um straight straight out of school working in an early education centre and just absolutely fell in love with it and have um you know studied and got on a, done my degree and um I don't directly work with children much anymore unfortunately but i do um i help oversee five early childhood centers for a not-for-profit so i do more boring office-based leadership stuff now but um yeah it's the only the only career i've ever had and the only one i ever will and um yeah it is and and obviously you know the who for schools initiative um just sort of you know it made my eyes light up and what i kind of loved about it as well the first thing i thought was obviously because it was raising money for the malala fund is i know that you know in series 30 or something there'll have to be an episode with malala right i can't wait to there will to see that one yeah. with the the 17th doctor or whatever <laughs> absolutely and that's one of the things is you're kind of like what what is happening now in our lives that we're going to be seeing in the next five to ten years in doctor who because i don't oh, think yeah. doctor who's going going anywhere not you know I don't think it's ever going to disappear. I think that's kind of a, almost a given. It might change how we we see the show, but it's it's going to be around because part of it is just how enduring it is. Have you ever used Doctor Who as part of any of your um, educational lesson plans? No, I no, I haven't. I I've got. I would be lying if I say I wasn't tempted sometimes, but. Um... No, I haven't. I haven't specifically done that. I do talk about it a lot with my colleagues. Unfortunately, they're probably sick of hearing about. And in my office, there's uh, many of the the figurines, and I've got a TARDIS poster and those kind of um, things. Look, I've, 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 what I will say though is I've, I remember, um, you know, the the what we talked about twice upon a time before, um, and the you know the Twelfth Doctor's final words about you know being kind and laughing hard, and I've, I have. Um, used those in professional development with with other people and they the particularly i think in that second half of Stephen Moffat's era where he was really thinking a lot about kindness and empathy um there's some great learning strategies there for other educators but as well as talking with children i i talk with um you know my own children a lot about some of the messages in you know the recent series around kindness and and empathy and uh, i think there is a lot of there's there's it's one of the few shows i think that talks at that in that open away about those kind of um those, those kind of uh ideas where everything's not dark and cynical and we can actually um you know have their conversations about you know hope about hope abiding and those kind of things so in, in that sense i can absolutely see how it could be used but um I've, I've probably been too worried about crossing if i cross those streams god knows what would happen <laughs> if uh, you were in a classroom and you could have one of the doctors come and teach a lesson which one would it be oh my god now I do wish I was. I, I, I'd had some time to think about that. Wow, 
the obvious answer is Tom Baker. There is something magnetic about you know that his personality. I think with with young children, looking at some of those uh, photos and videos of him engaging with young children, he seems to naturally know how to interact. I think um, I think it would yeah it would either be the fourth Doctor or I think Matt Smith, the eleventh Doctor, or his engagement with children was sort of incredible to what I, I do actually remember particularly the first series where we had Amelia and um, and I do remember actually thinking as a teacher and educator his engagement with children is fantastic where you you treat them seriously and you don't treat them you know as as you know as things that aren't people yet that they're growing into people they're people in and of themselves and he um yes I'm on my one of my my rambling again because that was a really interesting question but I, yeah probably the fourth doctor or the 11th doctor I think would be great in a classroom probably not for the teachers but probably great <laughs> for the children <laughs> I oh, as I asked the question I was I'm, I'm thinking about the answer myself and, I, and I'm realizing that I think I I started my career in education around the same time that Matt Smith became the doctor and I'm I may actually have just patterned my overall educational techniques after <laughs> after his doctor. That really explains a lot. <laughs> Eureka! <laughs> I'm glad we could help you with this breakthrough. <laughs> I, I remember teaching a class once and really feeling the doctor's energy and one of the kids raising their hand and going, Mr. Drew, could you slow down, please? <laughs> You're talking way too fast and moving your arms too much. None of us can understand what you're saying. I'm like, all right, sorry. (laughs) The Babylon Project was our last best hope for peace. It failed. of the Shadow War, it became something greater. Our last best hope for victory. The year is 2260. The place, Babylon 5. Well, Liam, one of the things we like to do on this show is talk to our guests about Doctor Who and their love of Doctor Who. and We also like to uh, have them bring along a show of their own that they would want to discuss besides Doctor Who because, you know, Doctor Who is not the end-all and be-all of your fandom. So tell us what you brought and why you chose it. Right, well, I have brought uh, the classic, I guess in inverted commas, depending on uh, how people view it, uh, 90s science fiction show Babylon 5. Yay! <laughs> I've got to say, I was ve- I was actually quite nervous about suggesting this because one of the other podcasts that I absolutely love was the audio guide to Babylon 5 with uh, part of the Doctor Who podcast family, uh, Shannon, Erica and Chip. And I was kind of assumed that they, probably one of them would come on and bring this, but now I've stolen it, so I am very sorry. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny because uh, we, we clearly want all of them to, to come <laughs> onto the show at some point in time. And I, I've, I have been talking with Chip quite a bit uh, this last month since since um kind of our lockdown and quarantine time um but recently i I said listen our guest is his chosen babylon 5 and and uh he's like well you're gonna watch all of it and i'm like no we're gonna we're gonna watch three episodes and he goes you can't do that you can't do that (laughs) he is right the man is right the man is right and you know what as we will discuss uh, uh and in just a moment he is definitely right 
he is definitely right. Um, and so uh, I will, I will, because I have not discussed with Brent my experience with watching the show, and I, I will do that in just a moment. But um, what is it about Babylon Five that inspired you uh, to talk about it on this this program? Because you know, you you actually gave us a couple of um, suggestions, and that was the one we settled on. Um, but why start with Babylon Five in the first place? Yeah, look, it's um. Yes, I, so the chip is entirely right, I should say. And it was, there was probably, there was no more stressful period in my life in between emails uh, to Drew where I was trying to select which episodes to watch because it is really <laughs> hard to pick three individual episodes of this series. And anyone who's a Babylon 5 fan listening to this will probably hugely disagree with my selections. But I, I, I seriously went through an hours long methodical. I, God knows, I think I was meant to be working. I wasted God knows how much time thinking which episodes to do. Um, there's probably a couple of reasons. Look, Babylon Five, uh, you know, it is. It was kind of. Um, it came out at the same time as, as the Star Trek was so huge and had more money and more production values. Um, but for me, what, what, what drew me into Babylon Five was just the the overall storytelling. So, for people who haven't seen Babylon Five, but I think what gets through into sort of sci-fi circles is this idea of there was one story being told over the five seasons that was written mostly by one person, J. Michael Straczynski. Um, and it is, it, it is a very immersive series. So once you start, even though the first season is a bit shaky in parts, it's really hard not to get sucked in if you can look past the production values, which I think was one of the other reasons. Like being a Doctor Who fan, there's almost this sort of bloody-minded tendency to just go, look, the production values are what they are, and you sort of see the story underneath it, that Doctor Who, to me, is... Well, but so Babylon 5 is actually a kind of perfect series, I think, for a Doctor Who fan, because it has so many of the same storytelling elements, which is they're telling this huge, expansive story that they really do not have the budget for, but they do it anyway, and you, there's just parts of it where you just have to go you know, that special effect's not great, or yes, they couldn't really afford a good guest you know, actor there, unfortunately. But um, just with Doctor Who, the storytelling underneath is so much more important than the money they can afford to throw at the screen. Um, but there, yeah, it is, it just, it's an incredibly immersive world. It's, it's, um, it's funny, um, sometimes intentionally, sometimes not. Um, it is, and, but the, the, when you get, it, there's this sense of huge um, achievement and fulfillment at getting to the end of that series and having been with some pretty amazing characters and some really great sci-fi storytelling. So when did you start watching this, and, and was it appointment TV for you? Well, so I, so I watched it, I think, in the early 2000s, so I missed it. I, 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 honestly, I'd have to go back and look. I don't think it aired particularly much in Australia or it may have aired on a strange station or, or probably very, very late at night. I caught up with it on DVD. So this is another kind of um, a bit of a nostalgia watch for me. So I watched Babylon 5 in my, my first job was working at an early childhood centre really close to my house. Um, so literally like a two-minute walk. So I would get to my lunch break, walk home, and I would have just, en- just enough time to watch the 42-minute episode of Babylon 5 every weekday. And I literally watched all five seasons, one per weekday. It's the only wow. series I've been able to do that with. I know, and it's just, it. again, probably like Doctor Who, I'm probably blind to a huge amount of its flaws because it just reminds me of this really great time in my life where I was you know, young and not as old and bitter and cynical and tired as I am now. <laughs> And I would, and I watched, and that, that that was a great way to watch that show. I think, in particular, just sort of one one at a time. It sort of built up, and I, you know, so I would have watched it all in, you know, probably about um, seven or eight months. How about you, Brent? Because um, I know you had seen this prior to the our talk today. 
did you watch it while it was airing live? Yes and no. I this show was in syndication for the first four years, and then the fifth year it got picked up by TNT, and they put more money into it, and they took over. And when they did, they re-aired like the entire one through four. And so that's when I started watching it because they promoted the crap out of it. And they were like, we bought, you know, Babylon 5. We're going to show season five. And and I was like, well, this looks awesome. I need to catch up. So uh, like Liam, I watched it every day. They showed an episode every day uh, leading up to this season five. And, and I watched the entire thing. I was so hooked. And... Uh, I would record it and watch it later so I could speed through the commercials and not have to sit there and suspense <laughs> for two minutes. Uh, and <laughs> uh, But yeah, I just love this show so much. It's like, it's one of my favorite sci-fi shows. It's It has really very good world building um, and the characters in their worlds and cultures are introduced gradually rather than being all thrown at you at once in the first episode like so many other shows do today. Um, the characters I, I love the story the strong strong storytelling but also the characters are the main factor that drive this show I think because they are so well developed and they're flawed and they're believable and um, in fact I can't honestly find much fault with this show at all but like you said Liam it, the, it has a slow build and basically the entirety of season one is a build up but each season gets better and better, and the payoff is entirely worth the wait. Through the end of season four, I wasn't a huge fan of season five, <laughs> but there are good reasons for that, which we can talk about later. But yeah, I love this show. It's one of my favorite sci-fi shows ever. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's, it's so nervous introducing Babylon 5 to people because it seems to be people either love it immediately and go, oh my God, I get this, inject this in, into me as soon as possible. Or people go, what on earth is this very cheap Star Trek ripoff and please get it away from me. <laughs> so introduce it to people who, who I, I wasn't aware whether they liked it. I was really nervous as to whether you'd like it or not. <laughs> well, Brent, Brent's a bit of an expert. Uh, he had watched all of it uh, prior to this. I had watched maybe an episode. I couldn't tell you which one it was, but... Uh, around the time that this was airing live, uh, I had a, f- a group of friends. Actually, this is kind of interesting because we talked about this last month with Robert. There was a group of friends that uh, had a television night, a couple t- nights a week. They would just get together and watch all the, the genre shows. And occasionally I would go over and watch it, but it wasn't a regular thing. So I, I, I know I watched the show with them at least once or twice, but I... Uh, I didn't understand what was going on, and at the time, the the effects were perfectly fine. I mean, you know, it's <laughs> in the mid nineties. It it you know it's CGI, but it it was great. You know, uh, but but I held off from ever watching it again. So I was kind of excited to jump into it. I didn't realize how serialized it was. I mean, and and I may have I may have had I realized it, asked you for, you know. 10 episodes or maybe, maybe. <laughs> yeah, 50. I think 50 is the right yeah, amount. 50, I mean, 50, that that right? seems reasonable. You know what? You're not wrong. Uh, <laughs> and so I see I'm thinking, okay, it just so happened, but right before the lockdown, I I got a chance to 
to buy the first two seasons on DVD at Goodwill for a buck a piece. And I'm like, this is this is perfect. I'll just I will watch both of those seasons. I'll maybe order the rest of them via Amazon. And then I watched episode one, and I went, wow, I really don't like this show. Ah. Um, (laughs) And it wasn't the special effects. And it wasn't the script. It was the acting. that. And and I was talking with Chip about this, actually. And I think it came to basically it felt like watching a high school presentation of generic science fiction TV show, the the musical, not musical, but you know, like 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 the the stage production. And, and I know, and I have I have a three episode rule where if I'm watching something, I will give it three episodes, especially if someone is recommended for me. It's always going to be when someone comes onto the show. You know, that's that's sort of why we ask two to three episodes. So I watched this. You know, the first one is what is it? Something. Something at midnight, something... Midnight on the uh, firing line. Midnight yeah. on the firing line, right? And so I, I also found out there was a movie, and I'm like, should I watch the movie? And people are like, no, don't. No, no. Um, no, no. No, don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. I'm glad I got good advice. So I watch it, and I'm like, uh. So the next one's Soul Hunter. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to watch this one. And I'm like, what the hell is this show? <laughs> uh, and so I skipped a bunch. But I, I still wanted to get an understanding because the episodes that you and we'll talk about your three they're really coming towards the end of each season like they're they're in the later half of each season so we got one and one and and one and two and one and three and i thought well i'm gonna have to get a better understanding so first thing i did was i got a couple of i i got on a couple of websites and and brought them up so i could read so i i read what happened in between some of the episodes so i got a better understanding uh and I don't know what it was. It just, the show wasn't connecting with me. And I watched a couple and I watched a couple more. And then last night, I was like, I'm going to devote a couple of hours to just watching a couple more before I watch the episodes that you specifically asked me for. And and correct me if I'm wrong, did they air episodes out of order or is there a special order that you're supposed to watch? Because from what Chip was mentioning on their podcast... There's a different order that you're supposed to watch it in than what the discs have given me. So the penultimate episode on my DVD uh, is the Mission of Mercy. It has June Lockhart in it. Quality of Mercy. Oh, the, the Quality, quality of Mercy. Mercy. Yeah. Quality of Mercy. So I'm like, oh man, penultimate episode, June Lockhart. Love June Lockhart. Bill Mummy's in this. Oh, cool. Okay, this is great. <laughs> you know, spoiler, I watched June Lockhart kill somebody. That's that's like everything I could want in a television. And, and it, a couple of the characters felt better developed. And I don't know maybe if the actors were a little bit more comfortable or the directing was a little bit better, but I liked it. And so I started watching more and more episodes. And by the end of my watch this afternoon, and I, and I haven't gotten particularly far, I got it. There was a point about three episodes back where I went, gotcha. Okay. I Yay. don't know if it's, if it's the <laughs> fact that, that uh, uh, I like um, Sheridan more than I liked. Um, wait, which, which was the first, first guy? Sinclair. Sinclair. I think I like Sheridan's arc and acting better than I liked Sinclair. Yes. And that plays a part of it. I think season two really started ramping it up for me because I feel like I they kind of threw it into the the big story arc. And the three that you chose 
really follow that story arc. Now, I I haven't explored past season three. I'm, I'm basically midway through three, season three in, in my exploration of this. So I don't know how it ends. We don't have to spoil how it ends. You can if you want. Uh, I, it certainly won't kill me, but I, I'm going to go back and I'm going to rewatch, watch this. Maybe not, you know, immediately I'm not going to do the pilgrimage, but I think I'm going to give this show another shot because once I kind of understood who the characters were, I think I can appreciate where they came from. And so that's my very long spiel about being introduced to the <laughs> show. So <laughs> sorry, Brent, you were no, talking no. about how much you love the characters, um, uh, Liam, do you have a favorite character on this on this program? Um, oh, again, it's it's like a favorite doctor. They're all so good, and I've got to say that like that's roughly the right way to approach Babylon Five, which is to see the first three episodes and go, "Oh my god, what is this? What's what's happening to me?" And then if you stick with it, it does. And season three is a really great place to to land, I think. And I in the episodes I selected, I didn't go past season three, which was mm-hmm. really wrenchingly difficult because season four has probably some of the best individual episodes, but they would make no sense, I think, out of context. Um, but in terms of favorite characters, look, the obvious, the obvious, and I, I wish I was less obvious, but I'm not a less obvious person. Is I do love Jakar. He's character journey from where he starts to to where he ends but just andreas katsoulis's performance is one of the best and i just think hugely underappreciated one of the best performances not only in a sort of sci-fi show but just in in a long-running show um full stop um you know ivanova is just um is just brilliant you know it's what what kind of amazes me is about babylon 5 but even just i've i've um i've I rewatched along with um the audio guide to babylon 5 a little while ago and they just finished and this is a desperate plea for them if they're listening to please come back and do more episodes because that show was uh, fantastic <laughs> i apologize that i've stolen babylon 5 from you for this show i, I do really <laughs> apologize but please come back and do more um they they commented a lot on the acting you know as well but what kind of amazed me what amazes me about the, the the particularly the main characters on the show is I don't think I've seen many of those people in anything else, and, and what I suspect is they probably wouldn't be as great. They 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 are just perfect for the characters they are playing. Um, you know, Garibaldi, uh, Jerry Doyle, who plays him. I don't think he he did a lot of acting after. Bella could be wrong about that, but I can't imagine I would have enjoyed him in anything else apart from Garibaldi. And I kind of feel that way about so many of them. You know, Claudia Christian as Ivanova. Um, I can see that they're not necessarily you know the, they're not they're not at the a list of acting level in the entire world but they are absolutely perfect for this show and these characters and i cannot I, I cannot imagine anyone else playing them um and i can't really imagine them doing anything else either brent was there any characters uh character or characters that really resonated with you i'm in the same boat because uh like i said earlier i think every single character on this show was really fleshed out and they're all really uh believable to me so I, I don't know that i have a favorite um I, I guess if you put a knife to my throat and said please pick one right now <laughs> it would have to be maybe dr franklin hmm. i just really liked him he was really um really dedicated to his job and really he was one he was probably one of the few characters that would stay up all night for days and not get any sleep because he's so dedicated to get his job done uh, for whatever he was doing at the time and and um, 
but yeah, I was a I was a big fan of Garibaldi. Also, he was like the Bruce Willis of the show. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I can't believe you said that. I was just <laughs> yeah. about to say the exact same thing. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, Chip was mentioning. So I've actually chatted with Chip a lot, and I I also Liam have been listening to the, the audio guide to Babylon Five on the episode only on the episodes that I've watched. So I would watch a couple of episodes, and then I would download those particular ones. And they make reference to previous ones, which is fine. But I really like how they set up. This is, I feel like, welcome to Who and Company, where we're going to be talking about the audio guide to Babylon 5. Um, <laughs> but I really like how they have a section where they're just like, okay, now we're going to talk about spoilers. So if you haven't watched the episode or you don't want to get too much information about what's happening later, you can, you know, turn off. And they, they gave you just enough information. So I felt that was really helpful because they were certainly, like you, were very passionate. But like both of you were very passionate about this show. And... Uh, I felt that I, had I not been doing this for the podcast, I might have not continued watching it. But considering the amount of passion that they have, if they were going to watch, you know, start an entire podcast based around a program, then it's it certainly they find redeeming. So I stuck with it, um, and I, I enjoyed it more and more. And listening to other people talk about, which is my kind of my one of my great joys in life, is I love talking with and listening to people talk about the things that make them happy because there's always that kind of joy and that light when you you know someone genuinely loves something and they want to tell you why and they clearly like the show and and i and i got that from them um (laughs) and i think particularly for shows that that almost actively try to to stop new viewers (laughs) liking them like that my, my insides were twisting as you were telling your your journey with this show because that that that's kind of is getting anyone into this show. You kind of have to follow that trajectory. You either have to do a very convoluted look, start with this episode. Don't worry about you know the, the, the you know the first you know twenty or whatever. Just kind of start. Or but the show does the show is beautiful and glorious, but it it, it actively I think tries to put you off getting into it because you're you're not wrong about some of the production choices and um in issues particularly in the first season it does smooth out but they never entirely go away um but it also it becomes very serialized fairly quickly a lot the 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 character the the characters change dramatically from season to season to season so uh, even if you miss a few episodes or you you know you sort of come back after a year off the characters are in radically different places than they were before um but also a lot of it is very there's it, the the balance between setup and payoff changes over the course of the five years. So at any given point, you're either in a lot of setup, or you're then suddenly getting a huge amount of stuff paid off, and it's very difficult to come in. I think with um with with, with shows like that. So recommending episodes, like I said, I said is really is really challenging. But it, I think that for me is one of the reasons it's so wonderful. One of the reasons I love it so much is it pays off that that trust really really well by the by the end, um uh, or even you know by um. And we can definitely talk about season five in broad strokes without without spoiling it. But you know, even um, you know, by the end of season four, and and I think by the end of season five as well, it has really repaid your commitment. If you've stuck with it and you've looked past the the, the flaws that are there, it is it's one of the few shows that I you know I would still you know go back and just pretty pretty much put on at any time to just have you know wonderful, warm, fuzzy feelings about particular moments that happen all through the entire series. Do you find that this is an influential show? I mean, do you think because I, I, I was just—it's kind of hard to think of television from the '90s having this sort of serialized format 
that stuck with it. I mean, JMS had a beginning, a middle, and an end, which he clearly knew what was going to happen. I mean, what, there's 110 episodes of the show, and he wrote 84 of them. That's insane. I, I, I can't think of another program with the exception of maybe the early seasons of The Twilight Zone where the creator had such a hand in the, the, the writing. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I just don't understand writing of television, but, like, uh, I don't yeah, think I've right. seen anything like that. And, like, do you, do you think... Because I feel like even though I love science fiction and I love TV, I didn't watch a lot of it, so maybe... Maybe it did or maybe it didn't, but can you see this show's influence on science fiction on television moving forward after it was done, after its fifth season? Yeah, ab- ab- absolutely. So um, so this was sort of the second half of the, the 90s. So um, we what, what was dominating science fiction then was Star Trek. So we had Deep Space Nine and Voyage, and I'm a big Star Trek fan as well. Um, I think I've always been... Uh, the kind of fan that just kind of likes everything. I don't. I don't think you have to sort of pick. You know, one one fandom or, or, or worry that one show is better than another. I've always liked them all. But I do think, um, so, D Space Nine in particular was sort of doing a lot of serialization stuff, but it wasn't planned out beforehand. I think all you know for a lot of those shows there was you know um, a lot of stuff that was being sort of made up on the spot. Or there was shows like the X Files, which would, um, which seems kind of crazy now when we think about how shows work. But they would literally sort of alternate between ongoing shows episodes that you could basically pull out and watch as as part of an ongoing story and just standalone episodes so literally you could kind of literally pick and choose episodes but i think it absolutely has been influential in things like um, you know the reboot of battlestar galactica the new star trek series those kind of things but i've always said i i don't think it's been influential enough what what babylon 5 did differently apart from just the serialization which is i think what stands out is that it was all planned as you said right from the start that jay uh, JMS um, knew the story he wanted to tell from start to go. I think the serialization took on really well, but often without a plan. I'm thinking of series like Lost, where clearly they just had no idea what they were doing after a certain point, but wanted to keep the serialization element. So I wish it had been more influential and that people had realized you can't just take the serialization without the plan as well. So where are we heading? What are we doing? Um, I think we we're probably maybe where that's best been seen for me is a series like you know Buffy and Angel. I think Joss Whedon does that quite well, where I think he's got a very loose structure for where he's heading and manages to to plug things in. But um, I think I, I think it's definitely been influential. I think it's probably one of the most influential series that very few people know about or like or care about. <laughs> yeah, it makes me want to explore it more. As someone who appreciates good writing, I think. Uh, I think I can see in the few episodes that I have seen that there is a narrative that is being gelled. And it's the thing that everyone told me about, but I want to see it get done. I, I, I think I might might find out what episodes I definitely need to watch from season two, but then I might just, uh, season one, and then I just might just watch those few and then skip it and then start with season two. I think that it, it didn't really resonate with me. But, um, you know, I mean, that's my fault. But like, I will... I think I want to go back and I kind of want to take that, that journey. So uh, it kind of sold me on it. Yay. Another <laughs> <Yeah>. convert. <laughs> Hurry. <laughs> so uh, Liam, you selected three episodes for us to watch in particular. So which were those and, and why did you pick those three? Well, as I said, this is one of the most traumatic experiences of my life. So thanks. Uh, thanks Drew and, and Brent. Um, I do a weekend. 
We have Brent. I'd be, I'd be fascinated to know. As, as I'm so excited, you're a big fan as well. I'd be fascinated to know what you think. But I'm seriously nervous about saying this because I know there'll be Babylon Five listeners that are going, "Why on earth did he choose those ones? What is wrong with him?" Um, what I wanted to do was try and because I seriously considered for a little while picking like three episodes from maybe series one or series one, the early phase, season two. But I just couldn't do it because it's just not that. That's not. That's not a good indication of what Babylon 5 is. So I decided to pick one from the first three seasons that told that I think if you watch them back to back, and I'd be fascinated if you sort of got this impression, Drew, that you could get some sense of the spine of the story growing and you got some sense of where the characters are at. So I chose uh, the season finale from season one, Chrysalis, which is a really important episode for the series and it kind of is a bit of a pivot point for what happens after that. Um, I then chose uh, In the Shadow of Zaha Doom from season two, which is, I think, a really important episode, but also one of my favourites from the entire run of the show. And then... I think this might be the most controversial choice. I, sh- I chose Messages from Earth from Series 3, which is part one of a three-part story. I nearly picked part three, which is, I think, the better episode, but I think this is probably a good point. My sense was... So I'm now desperately trying to uh, to uh, explain why I chose it because as, as, um, it is a bit of a strange choice, but I think it's a good spot to sort of leave that the, the arc really jump starts after that point but i think this episode it's a, it's a little bit more standalone but it gives you a sense of where things have gone and where they're going in the future um but there's also some really great character stuff with sheridan and delenn in particular that i think is actually the heart of the series so i wanted to make sure there was something in there as well but um this was honestly one of the most difficult experiences of my life but i'm now open for criticism about my choices <laughs> no i i think those three choices were great and uh, especially for someone who's never seen the show, if you're trying to hook somebody into the show, I think those three would probably do it. Yeah, Phew. because you don't really. I, w- I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't pick anything out of season four because it is so jam packed. Um, for well, we haven't mentioned this yet, but but the reason that four and five are so different, but. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't pick something from four because it's so serialized. Um, yeah, it's like it's like picking one episode out of Daredevil season one. <laughs> you know, you, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. don't really. If I said what happened in episode five, you were like, I don't know, but I could tell you what happened in the whole season. Yeah, but uh, yeah, these these are these are really good choices. So uh, I will echo that sentiment, um, and uh, I you know I wanted to get an understanding of what the show is. Chrysalis comes at the the very end of the season so i wanted to know what happened beforehand so i think i probably watched four or five episodes and i didn't really like those episodes uh, for the most part <laughs> for the most part yeah um but then um quality of mercy i i, I dug that and it um the, the the doctor was really cool in that one and then um getting to chrysalis started to intrigue me about what was happening with these characters and then when we moved to, <laughs> then I did a massive skip uh, to to your second episode, <laughs> and suddenly yep. um, Sinclair's not there, and uh, Delenn is looks completely different. But I understood why. Like, I if I had if you had said all episode you know, like one episode randomly that wasn't Chrysalis uh, in season one, and then any other episode in season two, I probably wouldn't have understood what happened. I would because uh, it's clearly the same actress, um, but who, who's visually and aesthetically looks very different. Uh, this yeah. is why it's so hard to pick. Literally, I must have sat there with my Google document going, "Well, but if I pick this one, I have to pick these other three episodes that explain where." 
I just think it would have been a lot fairer if I'd been allowed to have 50 episodes to choose. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> and and you know what? If if uh, <laughs> if I had nothing else going on in my life, I probably would have really enjoyed watching those 50 episodes that you handpicked. Um, because, in, in and you know, you can take solace in knowing that I do plan to essentially do just that. I'm just... I'm gonna do it in a short time span. You know, I'm I'm looking at this as an investment over the next couple of years. Um, but but I think the episodes that you chose certainly. And I think what I liked about the messages from Earth is just a part of a larger story that most definitely made me want to watch more of it. Uh, and you know, just a peek behind the curtain, I finished it maybe half an hour before. <laughs> We, we went live because <laughs> I, I have you know like many of us, there's a lot of things going on, and the yep. if if uh, if my wife enjoyed watching science fiction as much as I do, I probably would have watched the entire series, <laughs> but but she doesn't. I have, and, I have the same problem. Right? Yeah, and, and you know, like again, nothing against my wife. We watched uh, both seasons of Agent Carter this last month. Super loved that. But, you nice. know, it's like we we have a different. Uh, Anyway, doesn't matter. <laughs> no, um, I hear you. We watch. Uh, yeah, my wife will, will, will deign to watch Doctor Who with me, which I'm very grateful for. Her, the new series, she finds the old series laughable. Like literally, if I I I, I can't watch it with her in the room because she just goes, you know, what is this uh, high school production you're you're watching right now? <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, yes. Yeah, so I, I I hear you, Drew. Yeah, I think I've mentioned this on the show many times, but she has watched the uh, she has watched um. A couple of classic episodes, but not different ones. She's just watched the horror of Fang Rock uh, probably three times because that's that's my go-to comfort one. And she'll come down, what you doing? I'm like, watching Doctor Who. She's like, this one again. Well, I going to say, I did repay the favor. I, 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 remembering your episode with Tom uh, Dickinson. So we did, I, because I'd made her watch so much that, you know, pretty much the whole new series, Doctor Who, we watched uh, Gilmore Girls over the course of about a year together. So I have... I have returned the favor as well, I promise. I actually enjoyed that show. That was really an episode with Tom was great. Yeah, no, oh, and thanks. thank you. And you know, any any episode, anything with Tom is great. Um, that's just how Tom be. Uh, but you know, when I when I told her that was the show that he had selected, she's like, "All right, let's do this." You know, like we sat down and we watched a bunch of episodes, and and I I, I enjoyed sharing that experience with her. I, you know, I have a feeling that considering that this is a Doctor Who podcast. Most of our guests are not going to be uh, suggesting shows that I can have that same experience with, but that's fine. You did a great job selecting them uh, because the episodes I watched prior to the ones you selected, didn't like them so much. Episodes you selected totally galvanized me into wanting to watch the show. I feel like I've said that a lot of times, so I'm just going to stop saying that. You did a great (laughs) job. (laughs) My secret plan has worked. I think, so yeah, so Chrysalis is this big turning point in the first season. I think... You could almost say I. I don't think this is completely true. I think there is there are some. The quality of Mercy is a, is a great episode. There are a couple of good, you know, genuinely good episodes in season one that you do have to find them. But I think Chrysalis shifts the series. It sort of stops being one series, which is this kind of standalone sci-fi show where they do wacky, you know, slightly crazy things. To this, it really kicks the ongoing series into gear. Um, in the shadow of Zahadum, I just it is. Um, the the ongoing story arc with the the main villains of the series the shadows really kicks into gear but it is for me what it does is what babylon 5 does really well which is why i think it's kind of similar to doctor is it uses its restraints in a really interesting way so um and you kind of write the you know the, the effects and stuff actually don't 
they didn't bother me at the time and they don't really bother me now. The CGI is actually is, is, is good for its time. Um, the production values, I think, are more probably in the... Um, the the more physical examples of the construction, you know, the sets, are, you know, this is meant to be this huge, you know, uh, five mile long space station, but they clearly only have, you know, a handful of sets they can use. It is desperately nineties. The 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 outfits, the um, but it, but that's kind of nice now. It's kind of like if Seinfeld was a was a science, if it was an ongoing science fiction show, which it kind oh of God. makes me chuckle every time. <laughs> Garibaldi's outfits in particular are just wonderful. Um, but so they're telling this huge sweeping story about. Um, these this huge mythical race coming back, but it's basically told, you know, in a in a cell with with Sheridan facing off against this one person. The the, the use of the limitations are really fantastic, but it does what Babylon. It's, it's very hard for me to articulate this. I'm you know much better at being articulate about early childhood education. I'm trying desperately to be articulate now about the sci-fi shows I secretly love and get very sad if anyone says they're not any good. Um, the it they they it manages to balance melodrama. With not taking itself too seriously, like in the show, this this episode in particular is so melodramatic in terms of you know the, his wife maybe um, finding the, the man who may be responsible for the death of his wife and um, all those kind of things. And Bruce Bockleitner, I do, I'm kind of on to one of the the long running. I know this is now the audio guide to Babylon Five fan podcast. I'm really sorry, I've taken it over, but one of the long running things of that show was Chip kind of defending Sinclair as a character and Michael O'Hare's performance as an actor. And I actually kind of am on Chip's side. I I don't find his his performance in the first series too off-putting. He's clearly um, a bit confused. He's in a science fiction show, but that kind of works, I think, because <laughs> I I kind of like a very quite grounded sci-fi occasionally where people are kind of just um, you know going about their day jobs as if it's their normal day jobs. Um, he's an interesting complex character. Bruce Boxleitner is clearly he was hired to be the hero of the show, and he is playing you know the the upright stalwart hero of the show. Um, and I occasionally find that, particularly I think in season two, which was his first one, where I think he's still calibrating his performance. It's a little over the top for me, and there's shades of that here. But I like that he's playing things a bit darker in this episode. So for most of the most of the, particularly the first half of the season two, he was literally, um, you know, bouncing around like the most cheerful you know person who's ever <laughs> um, set foot in you know the future. And there's there's it's a bit darker here, but it really the. It was an example of the kind of episode that really pulled me in where you were starting to see these things fall into place. You were seeing, you know, secrets being revealed, all those different kinds of things. So, um, but the central, but the, also the the character of Morden, who is just one of the most, you know, best characters I've ever seen in any show where you just love to, to hate him and want to punch him in the face pretty much every time he appears <laughs> on screen. And he gets, this is probably his standout episode. He, he comes back quite a bit. But this is the one where he really gets probably you know the most significant screen time facing off against one of our main characters. But um, I'm rambling now, but I do love this episode so much. No, no, ramble away. Yeah, uh, Morton really reminds me of. I uh, can't remember the actor's name, but he's he was on the TV show Mad About You, and he was the suit in Aliens. Does, uh, oh, is that, Paul oh, Reiser. Yeah. Paul Reiser. Yes. He reminded me a little bit of. <laughs> yes, he does. A little bit of Paul Reiser from Aliens, but sort of with the smoldering good looks of the guy who played Duncan McCloud on the Highlander TV show. <laughs> Adrian Paul, him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, you know, like I feel like if you kind of mesh those two, uh, and if, wow, talk about a kind of a combination of the 90s. I'll shut up now. So. <laughs> yeah, Babylon 5 is basically Seinfeld and Mad About You in space. I think that's the best. That's the best way we could describe it. <laughs> I'm happy for that to be the tagline for the series. <laughs> I, I'd probably watch that. 
Well, I think they're my third choice, which I think was... So it does set off... The, it is the first episode of a three-parter, and the third episode is probably my second favourite episode of the entire... But I just couldn't recommend that one because I don't think the punch, particularly at the end, would make as much punch if you if, if you were sort of coming to it cold. And I'm very excited you're planning on continuing. Um, I mean, I would probably recommend just continuing going from from messages from Earth. I don't know how Brent would feel, but you could almost probably get a pretty good sense of the series having watched Chrysalis and In the Shadow of Zahadum and then and then going on from that midpoint because yeah. there's this huge twist um, in okay. at the end of the third episode that really, again, shifts the things away from... that is kind of set up in, in, in Messages from Earth. But um, I, I nearly did recommend that one, mainly because I wanted to watch it again, but I'll do that again <laughs> myself anyway. But um, Yeah, because previously in Season 3, it's really a bunch of standalone episodes with just a little bit of through-line... Uh, of of the arc but yeah. yeah i would say i would say with messages from earth on uh, i mean it's it's pretty solid yeah okay i'll you know what i'll uh what i might do is liam i might <laughs> actually you know what? i was going to ask you for one or two recommendations and two and three that you would before then just to maybe flesh some stuff out but you know i feel like i've caused you enough grief so I, maybe i won't do that <laughs> maybe i'll just i can't take maybe it i'll sorry. just start from there and uh, I'll watch the next two episodes and, and continue on the way. Yay. So we'll see what happens. My secret plan has worked. I'm very excited. <laughs> Excellent. It's all coming together. <laughs> I shall tell my shadow overlords immediately. <laughs> <laughs> well, Liam, um, what, we di- what we haven't mentioned so far is that um, I was going to say that uh, JMS originally intended a five-year arc. And when he got ready to write season four, he was um, he was afraid that there wouldn't be a season five because the ratings weren't as great as, as they had hoped. And so what he did, thinking that maybe he wouldn't get a season five, he pretty much crammed all the storylines of four and five together in four. And that's why it's so action-packed. Um. And five was kind of an add-on, so I, I'm curious what you thought of season five. So it was interesting because so the way I watched it, um, so the one episode per day, and I didn't really have so not like Doctor Who where I had you know ten reference guides somewhere, so I you know knew intimately the backstory of every story before I'd even watched it. I didn't really have that for Babylon Five. I was just watching it, so I had no idea about any of that. So to me, it kind of just flowed. Naturally, I want if, if for people who are watching, and as I know, as you mentioned in the US, there was also this big um, network change. So I think it, it 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 was it was sort of promoted as this big new thing as well. So uh, I wonder if the dividing line was was much clearer for people. Whereas for me, it kind of flowed quite well, and it made it makes a kind of sense that you would have in the way that JMS has structured this story. And he's called it a novel for television, where you sort of have you know introduction and rising action, and then you would have something like an epilogue. And season five feels a bit to me like an epilogue. I um, I actually don't mind it that much. The first half is a little shaky. I think it takes a little while to reset where things are going, but not. it's not anywhere near sort of season one levels of, you know, where they were no. clearly, why would anyone give these people a TV show and then let them keep right. it? Um, but actually, <laughs> the second half of season five to me holds up pretty much as well as um, the rest of the series. There's some fantastic stuff with Londo and Centauri Prime. Um, the And, 
you know, it has the season finale, which, you know, is, is to me is still the episode, no matter how many times I watch it, that can just, you know, break me emotionally every single time I watch it. I know that was that was filmed as part of season four, but I think it's informed by a lot of what happened in season five as well. So I'm less down on season five than others, I think. And I think actually the, the things that people remember as being infuriating about season five, um, which I won't spoil for, for, um, for, for Drew, but are actually, they're, they're kind of contained to the first nine or ten episodes. And the second... The second half is actually wonderful. That's, that's cool. And thank yeah, you. For... I, I, would, I would agree with that. <laughs> Not yeah. spoiling it. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we probably don't want to talk about season four and five for Drew. <laughs> no. And that's no. and you know, that's fine. You know, that's that's the thing too, is you know, the the show isn't necessarily about covering every every aspect of it, but just, you know, what do you like about it and and uh, do you think other people should watch it? And it sounds like yes, you like it, and yes, you think other people should. Yes, and, and, uh, I'm, <laughs> and I'm I agree with you, and I and I feel like I feel like I'm kind of on the there's a you know, I've I've seen people in costume, uh, I I've, I've heard really heated conversations about it with zero reference, <laughs> and it's it's nice to kind of be able to kind of part that curtain and 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 now understand it a little bit better. Because you know, Doctor Who is is a fairly impenetrable fandom, just because there's so much of it, and you know I'm I'm struggling. I have written I have these notes that have all these actors with their characters' name, and I've printed up the Wikipedia article. I haven't read anything past the episodes that I've I've watched, but like you know, just so I can go, oh yes, Londo, you know that that guy with the hair and the. So I mean, it's it's still very difficult when we're talking about certain characters I have to look it up and go okay who is that but <laughs> uh, I, I get a better understanding of it and, and and the more I watch the more I like so yes well I, I, there's a spin-off right there is and this is where I admit I haven't actually seen the spin-off or all of the movies I don't entirely know why it's not because I haven't been looking forward to them I just I, I just haven't got around to it but um the it's well actually no I'm, I'm waiting for the spin-off for the audio guide to Babylon 5 to come back so that's they, they need to come and do that so I can watch an, watch an episode and listen to their podcast but I think the, the 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 comparison there with fandoms I think is really interesting one of the um, I think one of the reasons Babylon 5 inspires that kind of you know those those contextless arguments you were talking about is it's kind of it's similar to Doctor Who to me in that way so growing up in the in the wilderness years and liking Doctor Who during that time where um, particularly in Australia, it was just terminally uncool. No one I knew liked it. It was a very solo endeavour for me, liking Doctor Who, and um, you know there was just no one who did it. So it's still, you know, to have my own children now watching and joy, having the show being as popular and huge as it is now, and walking into stores and seeing children, you know, who were my age at the time, just you know playing with Doctor Who stuff is, is, is honestly quite emotional because it was just, it's so different to my experience. And, you know, it's why I get particularly cranky when, you know, some of the, the crankier and sillier members of, you know, fandom sort of have a go at the, the new series and, you know, particularly the 13th Doctor. I just think, you know, this show is for that age group. That's when most of us got into it. And the idea that we would, you know, kind of lose and forget that I just think is insane. Anyway, I'm now I'm now going off track. But Doctor Who, particularly, I think the classic series is, is kind of, as you said, impenetrable and strange and odd and, and made of such a different time. And you have to kind of decode it and crack the code to get. And once you do, you're part of this club that now gets it. I think Babylon Five is the same. To the, your reaction to it, as I said a few times, is is completely correct. And I don't I don't blame you for that initial reaction to it because I think that's it. But when you crack the code and then get into it, and you're part of this sort of secret group of this show that 
you know, a lot of people would overlook, but it's so rich and it's so detailed. I don't think I've done a very good job of, you know, sort of um, talking about how broad and complex the series gets. It starts as this, you know, quite small series about a space station and the weird aliens who come to it, and it ends up spanning, you know, 100,000 years of history and, you know, this, these huge epic battles between opposing forces in the universe. Um, but you kind of have to, you have to, you have to get into it and you have to devote, you know, a bit of time and energy to understanding it all. But it's so rewarding once you do. And then you're part of this sort of secret club where people think this is a really dodgy sci-fi show, but it's it's so much better than that. And you can kind of be a bit smug on the inside that you know this show's awesome, even though other people don't yet. <laughs> well, um, we have one more question for you about Babylon 5. Uh, aside from the fact that several of the key cast members are no longer with us, uh, yeah. do, you th- do you think that this show could come back? Now, um, I d- I don't see why not. I think the uh, the yeah, the Babylon Five has been really unfortunate with with um, members of the cast in particular passing away. So many amazing people, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, look, I I don't see why not. I I I know I'd love to because Babylon Five. I think the scope of the story it was kind of was trying to tell kind of actually needs modern production techniques. It it. it the the story it was trying to even though I desperately love it to bits and actually I think some of the you know the dodginess of the sets and some of the quality of the guest acting is actually one of the reasons I kind of love love the show because I love that they were doing it anyway which is so Doctor Who that, that you know let you know who cares about the budget we'll do this ridiculous insane galaxy spanning story anyway um, but you know that done with modern production values and with the the lessons learnt about serialization I think would be would be amazing I'd I'd love to see it come back. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I clearly want to watch <laughs> the rest of the original series, but I think there's a certain DNA of Babylon 5 in, as you said, in shows like Battlestar Galactica. And so I wonder if they if they would do it in the spirit of Babylon 5 rather than bringing back the same actors, you know, maybe bringing them as guest appearances, but like, you know, maybe calling it Babylon 10 or something along the Again, I, I don't know what happens in the, in the future episodes, so maybe I'm just covering something that's already covered. But, you know, like, you know, either a, like a, a, a reboot that isn't a grim reboot uh, or, or something along those lines. Um, yeah, I, 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 I don't know if I've even said that, but I find the production values kind of charming, yeah. actually. And there's a certain level of nostalgia to the, the 90s. You know, my complaint was it was was the acting, but once you call it a melodrama, I'm like, oh yeah, right. No, that's probably kind of done on purpose. It was just maybe a little jarring because I was. I've heard so many people talk about how good the narrative through line is that maybe I was expecting more of that from the get go. So. Yeah, it's tricky because I think a lot of the. A lot of the stuff early on does pay off way, way later. So it's kind of it is good to right. have it there. But that yeah, that sense of melodrama for me is really important. But I think a lot of sci-fi is sort of couched in terms of space opera, which I've never really seen. Babylon Five is a space opera. It is hugely mm-hmm. melodramatic. It is sweeping. It is huge. But it also it's also funny in parts, and it is it doesn't take itself too seriously. There's plenty of episodes where they're sending up various parts of themselves and the show, and it is. It's a fun show to watch. I, one of the reasons it would be great for it to come back would be I think that's something we're still we're still missing now. We were, particularly in sci-fi, everything's very grim and, and look understandably given you know we're, we're having this po- right. we're having yeah. this podcast during a you know a global pandemic. But um, 
something that is, and I think Doctor Who feels this for me as well. But you know, a sci-fi show that's pure, pure sci-fi that is also you know light and hopeful and and you know maybe a little bit corny and a little bit cheesy and a bit melodramatic. I think we we haven't had that for a really long time. Well, I can't. I mean, that's as good a recommendation as I think we. <laughs> it the show is going to receive so. Um, before we let you go, is there anything that you would like us to plug for you? Or would you like to plug for yourself? <laughs> I, I don't know what's going on in your life. Come on, Liam, get with it, bud. Um, oh, look, I, I, I don't think I, not particularly, I mean, I, I can't, like we said, you mentioned the early education show. I can't imagine there's much of a crossover of people listening to this who have a desperate desire to listen to 123 episodes now, I think, of the intricacies of, um, the politics and policy of Australia's early education sector. If you do, congrats. Um, there's a lot of me and my friends uh, bantering about that for quite a long period of time. Um, I plan on jumping in, though I'm going to skip the first season and then maybe go yeah, into yeah, about yeah. halfway through season two. Or three. The production values are really shaky in the first few episodes. episodes in the first 40 or so. You a lot of wobbly know. sets. A lot of wobbly yeah, yeah. sets. A <laughs> lot of, yeah, yeah. You definitely come in around the third season. But um, no, that's it. I think, you know, in terms of just... Plugging, um, yeah, I don't know that you can. Uh, how about I plug uh, Doctor Who, Who and Company because I think that's a great podcast. I've been really enjoying it. <laughs> thank you. Well, <laughs> we appreciate it. Uh, so thank you for thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. And thank you for joining us on Who and Company. Who and Company, come for the fandom, stay for the company. Thanks for joining us at Who and Company. Special shout-out to PixelWho for providing our logo. They can be found at facebook.com slash pixelwho. Who and Company can be found on iheartradio.com and Spotify. Or you can download the show directly from whoandcompany.libsyn.com. Contact us on Twitter at whoandcompany. Support the show on patreon.com slash whoandcompany. Or email us at whoandcompany at yahoo.com. Thanks, and see you next month. On your trip back, I'd like you to take the time to learn the Babylon 5 mantra. Ivanova is always right. I will listen to Ivanova. I will not ignore Ivanova's recommendations. Ivanova is God. And if this ever happens again, Ivanova will personally rip your lungs out. Babylon Control out. What do you want, you moon-faced assassin of joy? And all of that is coming up right after this. The name is Babylon 5. Please don't add that.